Welcome to a new episode of the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. This week, we're featuring a Q&A with Louverture Films co-producers Danny Glover and Jocelyn Barnes, moderated by FLC's Director of Programming, Dennis Lim. Following a screening of Abdurrahman Sasako's Bamako, the opening night film of our week-long Danny Glover and Louverture Films series, the co-producers discussed the history of the production company, collaborating with directors, and how the landscape of international cinema has changed over the years. Danny Glover and Louverture Films features 14 films from around the world and celebrates the work of the actor, activist, and groundbreaking production company, now playing through December 7th. For tickets, showtimes, and the full lineup, go to filmlink.org slash Glover. So before we start, um, Jocelyn, I know that there are some people here, your colleagues, um, Louverture colleagues in the audience. Do you maybe want to... Give them a little shout out. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you very much for that. Um, Again, I just want to recognize some of the folks here from Louverture Films. Um, Susan Rockefeller, who's a partner here in Louverture, and um, Karen Chen, uh, Sarah Danans, and Cerise Middleton, uh, all with Louverture. We have other partners as well, Tony Tabatznik and Salsan Asfari, um, who are not able to be here with us this evening, but um, who are here in spirit. So thank you all for being here. Yeah. Thank, thank you. I'm really happy you could you could all be here. Um, I do I do want to talk a little bit about the film, but you know since we're celebrating the company um, and how it got started, I, I think the the obvious first question is for maybe both of you to talk about how you first met, which I understand was. On a film, Jocelyn and I first met um, in Dakar, Senegal. I was um, asked to do a a cameo in a film directed by Sheikh Omar Sissoko. He was in Bamako as well. Sheikh Omar. Sheikh Omar. Yeah, yeah. Well, his his company, and I should just say, in Bamako. Um, we as executive producers at Louverture are standing on the shoulders of our producing colleagues in Bamako Kora Films, which is, was owned and run by Sheikh Omar Sissoko, who's a great director, and um, Jingiti Films, which is Abderrahman Sissoko's company, and Archipel in Paris, Dini Fred's company. Um, they were the actual producer-producers of the film. Um, and Sheikh Omar was the director of the film where we first met. Actually, we met Sheikh Omar before um, Danny met Abdurrahman. I remember that night. It's almost as if it was yesterday. We began to talk about projects. And the first thing I said was a film about the Haitian Revolution in Tucson. And that began a conversation. That was in 1999. That began a conversation that has continued. Uh, we're still hopeful of seeing that film uh, produced and realized and everything else. But it was that 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 moment. And let me let me say something else. <clears throat> it's it's this profession, you know, as an actor from all of us. It's so it's 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 unpredictable. And you, you often get an opportunity, rarely get an opportunity, really, to do the things that you really want to do. 
And and certainly all of us, because of my my own personal relationship that I've had with foreign films, particularly African films, from the uh, the early seventies, uh, uh, and it's rare that you have that opportunity to do what you want to do. And in in Louverture, I, I've had had that opportunity and found that opportunity to realize some of the things that I hope possible, hope hope that would be possible in terms of cultural production, in terms of storytelling, in terms of honoring and and elevating our own our people, people in the world, in the developing, in the global south. And, and certainly, uh, as I look at, well, it's, it's 20 years now, over 21 years since we met, and some years since we, we uh, um, we're capable of producing this film. But it's, it's been quite an extraordinary ride. So it, it was this interest in, in African cinema that brought you together. It was the Sissoko film, and you mentioned you're talking about these films being important to you in the 70s. Maybe can you both say a little bit more about that? I assume you're referring to filmmakers like Semben or Mambeti or... Yeah, the, the, um, Danny, the, the question uh, about the, the filmmakers that you yeah. knew in Africa when we first met. Um, some of the other film, filmmakers, Jibril Mambati Diop and Usman Semben. I know, for example, with Semben, you actually helped finance Mulade, um, which most people mm. don't know. Yeah. Um, and, and also that he left you, he, he gave you the rights to God's Bits of Wood, Les Bouts du Bois de Dieu, the, which is the, mm. one of the most important novels, I think, of the 20th century. Um, but very under-acknowledged and unknown. Yeah. It, it was, uh, I mean, uh, uh, some of us who uh, who began watching the films, like I said, in the in the seventies, um, African films were certainly attracted to uh, Suleiman Sisi, mm. attracted to Usman Sabani, Jibril. Those were we were always, we were somewhat. I think, and maybe some of those in the audience who were student of those films at a period in time when uh, it gave, those films gave expression to this new idea of decolonization, expression to this idea yeah. of nationhood and everything else. And that first generation was, uh, was important for us, uh, the people in this country, you know, we'd often see those films in art houses somewhere, you know, rarely in, in the public space, but we'd often uh, or were able to Find, find ways in which to make collaborations, and I think that's one of the things that that I I I felt with the collaboration and the relationship with with uh, Jocelyn was the fact that we were not only going to identify those those uh, stalwarts, those who were at the beginning, but also find the talented and extraordinary talent in women. Uh, as well, at the same time. So I think, I think that was one of the one of the uh, one of the other additional 
uh, expressions of additional outcomes, you know, in this, this pathway. And yeah, we were able to help uh, Sabini finance his last film, and some consider one of his great films. Yeah. You know? yeah. I think, I mean, it's interesting when we started to think about working with an actor who is also a producer and who sees his own work as entwined with cultural production, um, as a cultural worker, entwined with social justice concerns. And it always struck me, Danny used to talk about how acting was a kind of form of surrender, in, in the best sense of surrender, giving your, giving, you know, emptying yourself for something. And in, in that sense, it feels like a kind of service. And I feel like his work and his life has been so much about service. And so when thinking about this company and indeed all the partners in our company and all the people working in our company have had service at the core of our system, of, like our, our ethics and values. And I think that we see it as a privilege and to work with and be of service to rather than an extractive exercise. And sometimes that comes into conflict with the business end of it. And so it's interesting to think about how to model more fair and equitable financing and um, also distribution in this world, you know, just to look at this film and, that was made in 2005 and to imagine these issues that are being raised are actually worse now in 2021 and that the framing is so limited like when we talk about let's say you know the migration is framed constantly as like the refugee crisis with no actual understanding of what actually has led to or created this crisis which is in fact the, the crisis of capitalism actually so it's like these it's all about framing and reframing and also understanding how narratives have conditioned us. And I think Samuel Beckett used to say he wasn't interested in recreating reality, he was interested in poking holes in it. And I think it's, it's, it, it, it's interesting to think about that at, in all the levels and all of the films that we've done. But this one, as the first film, it really struck me tonight, I mean, you know, I'm sure Abderrahman, if he saw this film now, would say that there, there might be some things that he might have done differently, but it stands up so well. And it's still so powerful, and it resists a verdict, actually, which was one of the most interesting things that he allows you to actually come to yeah. that verdict. Even the closing arguments are, are powerful, but mm -hmm. you can come to your own verdict on it. So how did Bamako come to be your first production? How did you come to be involved with this film? We met with, we met with Abdurrahman in in, I think, in Ouagadougou. I, mean, I, mean, I first met Adoraman at, uh, at this uh, uh, festival, uh, film festival. Fespaco. Yeah. Yeah. No, right. before Fespaco. Small film festival outside of Paris. Oh, yeah. We, won ju we won the jury that's together, right, remember? That's right, that's right, that's we right. We won the jury together. In the first no, that was Sissoko. Was that, Sis huh? was that, that was Sheikh Omar Sissoko. Oh, oh, no, but, but Abderrahman Sissako. We, uh -huh. You met him on the jury at yeah, Amiens. Yeah, the was jury. Was it Amiens? Yeah. Amiens. Yeah. Was it in Amiens? No, uh, I can't uh, remember. Uh, the room. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, I tell you about, I yeah, tell yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, the festival where you met 
Um, I think it was Amiens. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. Oh, right. yeah. Okay. And, and I met him there, and he began to talk about this idea right there. And, uh, and this is, in fact, the courtyard in the film is, in fact, the courtyard of his father's house in Bamako, where he grew up. I'm, I'm curious to hear more about the, the making of the film. Um, I mean, how proud, Danny, obviously you're, you're in it, that, that Western um, <laughs> sequence, um, but how present were you both uh, for the making? And I, I think it's just such an unusual form i mean this film you know it, it it this this idea of a of an impossible trial taking place in this courtyard but also he used i think real lawyers and judges and witnesses and i gather that it was somewhat improvised and not not really very scripted right i mean i'm curious to hear more about how that all came together yeah well isa isa maga who's the lead actress is an actress um, an actor, um, Aisa Tatal, um, who is the, the lawyer with the braids, she was at the time uh, a minister in the government of Senegal and is today the minister, the foreign affairs minister of Senegal. Um, and the two lawyers, the two European lawyers, um, Mr. Rapaport, Monsieur Rapaport, he's one of the most well-known lawyers who have advocated for the end of um, structural adjustment and what we call today austerity um, and the end of um, debt servicing. Um, he plays the devil's advocate here and he, when Abderrahman asked him to be in the film, he chose to play this role. Um, that was his choice, not the director's choice. Um, so yeah, so he, he did use real People and and also, um, the 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 older man who comes in Zegebamba who sing, who who sings the lament. You remember we had a conversation about whether or not to translate what Zegebamba sings, and Abdurrahman decided not to translate it because he felt it was more powerful that the lament was more powerful without the translation. And he's speaking in a um, in a dialect from southern Mali. It's not actually Bambara, um, and so he said a lot of people in the courtroom actually would not understand what he was saying. And so he would rather that the viewer, the audience, not understand either necessarily. Hi, I'm Clinton Crute, and I'm Devika Girish. We're the editors of Film Comment. The Film Comment Letter is a free weekly digital newsletter featuring original film criticism and writing by Film Comment's editors and brilliant contributors. The letter delivers exclusive features, reviews, interviews, streaming picks, news, and more directly to subscribers' inboxes every Thursday before they're published on filmcomment.com the following Monday. Sign up today at filmcomment.com to get the letter every week. Support independent film journalism. Support Film Comment. I wanted to, maybe I'll just ask one more because I want to open it up to the audience. Um, something that you said, um, Jocelyn, about, you know, just thinking through this this just this, this modeling you know and, and and you talked about like just fairer ways to to finance and and to to think not just about making the work but about the whole process of distribution and exhibition that's all changed quite a lot even in the 15 years or so that the company's been in existence and i'm just wondering if you you know if if what's gotten easier and what's gotten harder 
You want to talk about distribution at all? What What's gotten easier or harder about distribution? Or financing, or, or, finance. any, or any aspect of your jobs. <laughs> that, one's, that one's mine. I get to answer that one. Um, the hellish question. Um, well, COVID obviously has caused such havoc for everyone in, in theatrical and beyond um, that, of course. You know, I, I'm so happy for that there are so many opportunities for distribution now. And I think in all, all the streamers and all the big corp corporates that are dominating the industry now, that there are people of goodwill everywhere and who are trying to make change and trying to find ways to um, fund stories that are more interesting by people who have been you know, also outside of what, what is, has always been construed as the mainstream, which is basically in this country like straight white culture, um, that this is actually now broadened quite a lot and some companies have really been very mindful of this and, um, and more inclusive and that there's been an effort to do this. But the business model is difficult because it relies so much on algorithms and building niche, building from niches and that also causes an, perhaps an unintended effect of, of further segregation and marginalization too. So, and I, and I also think that we're, we're ignoring beyond the algorithms, the neurology of this. Uh, we had this really interesting conversation with some scientists from MIT who are specialists on algorithms, but who were talking about the chemical delivery system in your brain when you're, for example, watching a series that relies on the question, what happens next? So you're watching episode one, what happens next? Episode two, episode three and it continues, and that actually, as you follow that, you're getting a big dump of dopamine while, you're, while that's happening. And dopamine is, of course, what you get when you take coke or smoke crack. Um, it's really interesting. And so I asked the scientist at MIT I was talking to, well, you know, is this like clickbait, or for example, you know, trolling, or hate speech? Um, you know, is this the same effect? Absolutely, it's the same effect. Well, do these corporations actually know this? Oh, absolutely, they know this. They rely on it. Their business model relies on it. So that's not me, that's a scientist saying that, um, who's quite, quite brilliant. So I, I can only conclude that this model is toxic and is actually, you know, if narrative relies on conflict, and dramatic conflict is actually at the epicenter of Western narrative, why do we expect that we won't see more conflict in society? So why can't we model different forms of storytelling, different forms of directing, different forms of artistry, alongside with different forms of business? I mean, how else is it gonna change, actually? So in our quest to reach larger audiences, because we need to, and because we all need to actually, in this currently constructed model, we need to actually make money to continue to do our work. It's important. Um, how do we actually try to model something more fair? And I, I think we're all, I think that there's a, there are more and more people trying to find this. And so I feel like the most important thing is that we find each other. And maybe we find each other through the artistry, through 
through things like this tonight, through Lincoln Center, and through the many champions of theatrical, as well as other forms of distribution. But I feel like we have to find each other. And so I am thankful for the day that I met Danny Glover when he walked down the street in, in Dakar, Senegal, in a grand boo-boo, and all of us were sitting on a film set, and we turned and we looked at him, and I said, oh, that's Danny Glover, he's here, he's here from, he's here from Hollywood, was what I thought. And you know, later that night I realized I was sitting and talking with an encyclopedia of world cinema, and not just African cinema, not just countries in Africa, but of the whole global south. And it was such a great day for me. <laughs> Thank you, Danny. Changed my life. <laughs> okay, I think we can take a few questions from the audience. Uh, if you raise your hand, I will, yes, over there. Uh, the question is just about what, what you think an American audience might miss in this film. What do, do, you want, do you want to speak to the, the nature of the filming, the way that Abderrahman chose to shoot the film? Do we think that Americans may, have, may miss something in the translation, cultural translation, I guess, in the way that he made the film? Yeah, how, how do you feel, how, how do you think about the film, I guess, as an American, do, you know, as an American experiencing this film, do you feel like in the way that the film was made and how an American audience would respond to that? Is that, is that correct? I'm not sure I'm in, interpreting. <laughs> it's a little less attack. I mean, you're speaking about the grammar of the film, basically, so to speak. Um, do you want to, I, I mean, maybe you want to talk a little bit about your experience inside the film as, as an actor inside the film and the way that he chose to make the film. Because you're laughing. I'm sitting next to you watching the film and you're laughing through it and so am I. But I'm not hearing a lot of laughter in the audience, actually. That's one thing I think I noticed. I, I thought about how I, when I was in college, so I majored in economics. I studied comparative African. One of my classes about 1968 was comparative African economics. <laughs> and and I, and I look at as if there was some something to compare them, except the common part of it was colonialism. The common connection is colonialism. So what are the manifestations of what happens after decolonization? is still tied to the relationships, the economic relationships to the motherland as well, you know. Um, excuse me, not to, I mean, to, the, to the colonial powers as well. And I, I, how, how this, this reduces, the film reduces the, these, the, these expressions. And, and, and we see it through the, the premise of this everyday life the juxtaposition of the everyday life that happens here at that particular moment in people's lives. And so normal things that they've done for years and decades and decades and how that's disrupted, you know, in, in this new shape of, 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 of economic exploitation. 
because the, 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 whether it's the, slave, the slavery system was exploited, whether it's the systems of colonialism was exploited, as we all know, build the empires that exist, European empires, so all those things are real, and how it, it, it has, has kept Africa in perpetual poverty, and, and I don't want to say undeveloped, I don't want to use the word, but poverty itself, you know, what are, the, what are the choices they could have made at the end of the process in terms of elevating that? What about, as, as someone was saying, what, what about the same kind of choices that were, were given to Japan after its destruction during World War II, the kind of choices that were given to them in terms of the uh, rebuilding of Japan in that sense after the devastation of the war itself? What are the kind of ways in which we can really talk about economic development? If you grow cotton, in, in nearly, I, I, I think nearly two thirds of the country, excuse me, two thirds of the colony, continent, excuse me, two thirds of the, the continent grows cotton. What are the kind of economic relationships that you, you are able to devise, creative economic relationships you can be able to devise in which, in which those, those uh, that, that you can manufacture goods, that you're not simply just dealing with raw, raw material, cotton, and that you have some other industries that supplement that. If indeed the three pillars of Africa are expressed in, in, uh, in, in South Africa, the Congo, and, and Nigeria, those are the kind of the three powerful, most powerful countries in those particular region. If they're able to kind of, what are the other kind of economic relationships that would benefit and foster another, another framework in terms of look, where we look at development itself? We're stuck in the same exploitive nature of development, and and and, and that's part of what we we're dealing with, you know. I, I would just add to that. Um, that we hope with every film that we do and and always the best ones you know that the that the films change the way people see or inform a new way of of seeing and i think that's been a process of coming for us to understand you know that that for us it's been an incremental learning curve from the premise of it's important to acknowledge you know different kinds of stories who tells them who gets to tell them um, to a sort of incremental process to understanding that worldviews have been erased how do you understand your world if your entire worldview or cosmology has been erased um, or destroyed how do you understand narrative is narrative actually a problem isn't it more about experience when you're filming are you working with people or are you trying to tell something about them or are you actually trying to steal their souls? Um, what is it that's actually happening? And so it's been a process for us over the last 16 years of making something like 53 or 54 films that to, to, to learn all of this. So I would just say to anyone watching a film from any culture that you just have to know that you're bringing the, the baggage of your own culture and your own understanding to every, every film that you see. It doesn't matter where it's from and that you don't necessarily need a point of identification in, with characters who look like you, that actually the openness is the thing. And if a filmmaker achieves that 
with whatever grammar they choose to make their film, if they succeed in really raising new questions for you that have been, as James Baldwin said, the importance of actually coming to questions that have been really obscured by all the answers that we've been given. Um, I feel like that's a successful film. So if Bamako did that for you, or if indeed any of the films in this series do that for you, I would say that that's a successful grammar. It's a great answer. <laughs> I, <clears throat> I think we only have time for one question, one more question, but I, I kind of wanted you to maybe talk a little bit about the full breadth of the work that is, is on, you know, that, that we're showing in this retrospective. I feel like the retrospective could have been twice as long. I mean, there's like you, you, as you said, you've made more than 50 films together. But can you just talk a little bit about this process of how you, how you find the work, how the filmmakers find you and how you find them? I mean, I'm sure it's obviously it varies from film to film, but is there something you're looking for? Are there like particular instances that, you know, that, that stick out for you in terms of how you and a filmmaker found each other? Danny, what do we look for in filmmakers? The filmmakers that we work with or, or decide to work with, um, what do we look for in those filmmakers? Or projects? Oh, I, 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 oh what do I look for? <laughs> it's a collaborative process, you know, with that. It's a collaborative process. We understand that. With the uh, certainly with the with, as actors, we understand the collaboration process as actors and actresses, but also it's important that that and I enjoy working with directors who kind of open and embrace that uh, in such a way uh, and, and and listen and listen to and to, and and aware aware and listen to our own thoughts, you know. And the contributions as well. I think we, it depends how we understand our role in a film. Some films we really just support, and um, that can be a, that's a collaboration with the filmmaker as well as the other producers. And I think producing is really um, overlooked a lot, or it's relegated. Like people don't really understand what producing is who are not inside producing. So. It's, it's, it can be so many different things. It can be just financing, it can be creative, it can be a, a whole range of things in between. But I feel like the, the artistry of the, the vision of the filmmaker and the ability of the filmmaking team to execute or, and to collaborate, I, I agree with Danny, collaboration is just essential for us. And, um, and a kind of mutual respect and trust. I also, I really look for a sense of humor in every director. <laughs> if there's no sense of humor, I get really worried because I feel like it's so, um, it's so important and that often the people who are the most sensitive um, or who have been through the most pain and therefore able to convey a range of emotion and you know, complexity of soul and intelligence, um, are the people with the best sense of humor. So I, I actually secretly, not secretly now, but I secretly look for this. Um, Great. Well, um, I mean, there's so many things you could say about why you choose to make a film or work with a filmmaker. But, yeah. 
I want to urge everybody to come back and watch. I think we, you know, we worked on the selection of the films with Jocelyn and Danny, and I think these are all films that really benefit from being seen on the big screen. Um, and there are many, many great films in the program. And tomorrow night, if you haven't seen To Sleep With Anger on the big screen, I think you, you really owe it to yourself to do that. Uh, and Danny will be, will be back again with us tomorrow. So I want to thank you both. Congratulations on the incredible body of work. And we're, we are really honored to be doing this retrospective as well. So thank you to both Thank of you. you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody.